thanks everyone for coming. I know that there's a lot of interest and curiosity and sort of like question marks about what this project <coughs> is and um, what it's about and why we're doing it. Um, so hopefully um, this session will give you some sense of what the Museum Technology Charter is, why we're doing it, um, and help you to understand what it's all about and what's in there and give you some opportunity to help us figure out where the project goes next and, and what things we need to still have yet to address. Um, so, oh yeah, that worked. Okay, um, so just by way of introduction, um, the Museum Technology Charter is designed to be really a permanent online resource um, that identifies what effective practice in museum technology looks like and to help also highlight exceptional or representative work that's being done in the field. But then in the process, for us to really create this sort of complex object that in a way defines what museum technology work is, that is like what makes this work distinct in the museum field versus other fields and how do we prioritize certain decisions over others and why. Um, so in the process, can everyone hear me okay? Am I, is my, mic being, my voice being picked up by the mic? Could be better? Okay. I'll lean in casually here. Um, <laughs> um, maybe we'll do this. There we go. Okay. Was it, that was better? This is it better? Okay. Um, so in the process, we hope to also help to provide a roadmap and a framework for museums of somewhat more limited means who might not have technology staff available to them um, or might be in a situation where you know, they don't have enough people around with the expertise to inform decision-making processes um, to give them the information that might help to um, make better decisions, make more logical decisions, and make more um, sustainable decisions. And this is particularly true in areas where you know, a museum may, be, may not have enough staff to make a decision and therefore that decision-making process is often informed by vendors with a stake in particular outcomes and that's really something we wanted to address as part of this project. Um, so the Long-term goals of the project are really to produce an incrementally evolving permanent resource. So this will be something that will always describe sort of whatever current practice looks like in the museum technology space. And at the same time, providing a definitive bibliography of interesting sources and resources, a definitive list of representative case studies, um, but also then the, the sort of internal parts of the project right now are, are focused on developing project governance, um, content development, editorial oversight, and technical production. And so we'll talk about the, the framework of the project that we developed in a few minutes, but um, one thing that we look towards as a long-term goal of the project is that we'll be able to use the decision-making frameworks that we've developed here as a way to um, assess and analyze new projects and new software as well. So when we're doing software evaluations for say collections management systems that you might be able to use this framework to help inform your decision-making process. And so with that, I think I will <coughs> hand it off to Jennifer Foley. Um, so the first step for this project was that we um, hosted a convening um, the project, the convening uh, part of the project was 
um, supported with funding from the Crest Foundation and also um, technical support from uh, MCN, uh, as well as uh, support from the Am I going to get this name right? The Bob Bullock Texas, Texas State, State History <laughs> Museum. There are just so many words in that title. Um, who uh, physically hosted us. <laughs> and spa. Um, so they, uh, the convening was actually hosted at the museum um, in a large room that they had. Uh, so. Um, and as we were talking about earlier, it was oh, it was great to do a convening where every time we came out of the room, you were sort of in there with this group of people uh, and talking about museums. But then the minute that you had to leave the room, which you did have to do to go to the restroom, you were reminded that you were in fact in a museum because it was completely full of children on school tours all of the time. Um, so we uh, brought together a um, group of people to kind of talk through the the idea of this uh, MuseTech charter, but then also thinking about what is the work of um, sort of digital in museums? What is encompassed with this? What are the key issues? Um, what are the key concerns? What are key themes that we see in that work? And starting to really map out how we could frame the discussion. And again, as Coven said, this idea of how we can support uh, informed decision making for <coughs> museums. Um, so the, the group that we do have a list of everybody who uh, came together in, on the screen um, was, a, I would say, a great group of people, really robust discussion. Um, we do want to acknowledge that in this group, um, there is, um, it is weighted toward larger museums. There are um, people who are included who are at medium and smaller size museums, but there, it is weighted in a direction toward larger museums. And it is also weighted toward art museums. We did um, want to make sure that we were in incorporating and including um, voices from museums that were not art museums and were not larger museums, but there are definitely more people at larger museums and art museums than there are at other museums. Um, So the, the sort of methodology for the convening, uh, it was a two-day convening, um, and the first day was really kind of thinking about what are frameworks for even talking about um, digital work in museums. Um, there were, I think that day was sort of a lot of uh, smaller group discussion, coming back, having larger group discussions, working through how are we going to tackle this. Um, and where we ultimately got to on the second day um, was really getting down into groupings and thinking about how do we break this very large um, field down into sort of um, smaller pieces that we can actually grapple with. Uh, and this ultimately turned out to um, mean putting a tape grid on the floor, uh, which you can see in these pictures, and putting down sort of ideas and issues and themes and uh, work practices into this grid. And every time that we would sort of, okay, I, this feels good, and then somebody would bring up something that was like, we didn't cover this, and we'd add a row onto the grid. Sometimes it was, oh, this is already under here, and we take a row away from the grid. So it was a, a very organic process that happened over the course of the two days. Um, and I would say that where we kind of got to at the end was that on many things, there was sort of a feeling of um, agreement and consensus, but not on everything. There were certain things that when we got to the end, not everybody felt as strongly about this is definitely covering exactly what needs to get covered. Um, so I think with that, I'm going to pass it over to Mimosa, who will talk a little bit about um, the, the grid itself. 
Yes. So as we start to think about this massive topic of technology in museums, um, we determined that there would be um, functional practice groups as well as um, practice lenses. So as you can see here, the practice groups are really how are you going to know what you're doing, right? So what are the things that need to happen in order for us to do the digital in our institutions? And then with the practice lenses, it is thinking about what checklist should we consider as we go through the things that we have to do? What are the things that are um, top of mind and things that are not as top of mind but should be considered in our practices more and more? So I think um, here one thing that's interesting is that when we look, when we look at the practice lenses, um, that this is, this is sort of, in a way, what we consider to be a definal, definitional towards museum technology in the sense that the functional and practice areas, that's areas that a lot of organizations do, but that the way that work is approached, the lenses through which it's viewed, is in fact somewhat unique and definitional to museums. Some of, some of these considerations are more unique than, than others. Um, but as we'll see in previous chart here, you can see that we've, we've organized this as a matrix. So as we start thinking about functional areas, when we think about digital engagement, what we're actually going to define in the charter is, well, what across thinking about privacy and security, thinking about organizational transparency, that we actually will actually encompass all of those lenses in a definition of a functional area. This is super abstract, but thanks for hanging in there with us so far. Yeah, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go through each of the practice groups and the practice lenses and give a really brief kind of definition of um, kind of what we came to and, and the rationale behind each of these um, different areas. So I'm going to first talk about digital engagement, online presence, and content development. And how we kind of structured these three areas is content development is really more the production of digital content. Um, it may be content that is on the floor or online. All three of these areas actually can be a Venn diagram that overlap one another, but um, content development is more of that ed editorial strategy. Um, it can be stuff like educational content. It can be translations. Again, it's the production of the content. Um, when it comes to digital engagement and then online presence, this is more of the, dis the dissemination of that content. So how we talked through these two areas, which we talked through them a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of discussion around these two um, practice groups. Digital engagement is more of the two-way co um, communication with the audience. So that's more of the social media area. Um, that's one of the big examples of digital engagement. Um, that's not the only example, but just one of the major ones. Online presence is um, one way, more of the one-way communication primarily. So an example of that would be in online publishing, something like that. Um, another thing that I wanted to define really quickly is evaluation and analytics. So this seems pretty obvious, but you know this is an important thing to prioritize for your digital strategy too. And 
really what is helpful about all of these is that the lenses really should be what is inspiring you with each of the practice areas. So think about how the lenses could be inspiring what you are evaluating and reporting on. And continuing with the functional areas, the last two um, are foundational <coughs> systems and business systems. So um, the way that the convening group defined these was that foundational systems really encompasses more traditional IT. So this is gonna be servers, email. These are, are really systems that are necessary for the ongoing operation of the enterprise, but that are probably in most cases not necessarily unique to museums specifically. Um, and that business systems encompasses basically everything else that is in somewhat, in some way, somewhat unique to museums. So, um, and this was a somewhat controversial topic during the, the convening as well, um, because the group made a final decision to group, um, this, this would include collections management systems, digital asset management systems, as well as membership systems, constituent management systems, ticketing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so really, but this is, these are systems that are going to maintain data and content that's very unique to um, the, the museum itself. So I'm going to briefly talk about the first three practice lenses on this list, organizational transparency, decolonization, and inclusion and equity. Um, so as far as lenses and how we determined what would actually fit within these practices. We had a number of discussions, and we finally found that these particular areas, lenses rather, were what <coughs> rose to the top and defined our work in museums. And with organizational transparency, we really are trying to better understand how um, processes we have for gathering information and data or implementing decisions are known to others within the organization as well as how we end up doing the thing that we do. Um, there's a legacy of it because as people go from organization to organization, they don't necessarily have um, that capacity built in. So keeping that in mind for your um, respective museums is a, is a, is a boon. Um, and then thinking about decolonization work and assessing how data and content and collections prioritizes certain nodes and modes of knowledge. And that knowledge production it is inherent in all the ways that we approach our institutions and then recognizing that there are people that are actively working to try to dismantle and decolonize and supporting that work. And then finally with inclusion and equity, um, it's not only in terms of um, who is making decisions and how are those decisions being made and what are the impacts of those decisions, um, including, for example, how stories are told or how collections are categorized, but also around the staffing, um, recruitment, retention of people who are involved in um, precisely the projects happening at our institutions. Moving on down the practice lenses list to accessibility, um, the separation of accessibility from inclusion and equity was uh, a big conversation at the convening. Um, and where we landed was that inc inclusion, inclusion and equity does also include accessibility and there's merit in giving it its own space. Um, there are, for example, concrete guidelines that we can follow to make sure that each of the systems that are listed in the practice groups um, meet a standard of accessibility. 
um, and keeping it separate uh, prevents um, prevents a pattern of uh, when you when we have a feeling that something is accessible, um, it doesn't automatically mean that we've also checked the inclusion equity box. Um, so keeping it separate for a few of those reasons. Privacy and security um, within the context of each of these systems, what information are we collecting uh, from people and being really concrete and specific with ourselves and with uh, people engaged with our systems about why we're collecting that information. Um, and what, uh, what are the best practices or suggested practices with how to keep that information secure, with how to keep our systems secure as well. Data stewardship and sustainability of systems is um, related to some degree. Data stewardship, how do we store the information that we have in a way that um, ensures its longevity, um, whether it's a database or a spreadsheet or other methods that we might be able to um, store things electronically. And sustainability of systems speaks more to um, the systems around the data that we're collecting. Um, sustainability might mean being okay with saying goodbye to a system that doesn't serve its function anymore. Um, or like making decisions about uh, the systems that we do use. Are we using Storify to do digital interpretation? Is Storify maybe going to disappear one day? No, that's going to be around forever. <laughs> it has. This is a footnote. Um, so yeah, thinking about the, the decisions we make about the systems in each of the uh, practice groups um, with an eye towards what sustainability of those systems means to us as museums. And then human centricity as sort of an overarching theme for each of the systems um, that we might be thinking about with our operations of our organizations and making decisions based on people and not based on um, te other technical um, uh, aspects that might make some decisions easier to make. Um, you know, if the database is structured a specific way, making a decision on a system because it's easier to conform to that structure. Um, if we have skills and expertise in a certain area, making uh, decisions on a system because some, some things might be easier for us to do, um, have merit but aren't necessarily human-centric. Um, so taking into account who's using our systems and who our systems impact um, with decisions that we're making as well. And so the way this all plays out it will play out in the, the actual charter publication itself is that effectively, let me go back to the, the matrix model here. So you, know, you can see we've got our functional practice areas along the x-axis and the lenses along the y-axis. And the goal for the publication is eventually to basically fill in each one of those intersections um, with a wide array of content. So there will actually be essay content that describes current sort of effective practices in those areas. Um, there will be bibliographic resources associated there and, and representative case studies as well. And so some of these intersections will be more robust than others. You know, for instance, you know, business systems, which encompasses collections and digital asset management and ticketing. You know, each one of those areas may have a separate essay devoted to what stewardship of data as regards ticketing systems looks like, as, you know, which is a different consideration from what stewardship of data with collections might look like. 
Um, so over time, will that the this will be the framework that kind of generates the content um, for for the document going forward. So maybe while he's doing that, actually, if everyone who participated in that, because I forgot to do this, if everyone who is here who participated in the convening, if you could uh, raise your hand, that would be great. Thank you. Y'all are champions. Thanks yeah. for participating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the current next steps are um, we are right now in the process of kind of finalizing this matrix, and, and that's part of what we're here to do today is to have you as participants kind of poke at some of what we've put together here to see if there are holes, things that we may have missed, particularly in light of some of the biases that, that Jennifer identified earlier, you know, knowing that the project team that at the convening was very, you know, art museum heavy, larger museum focused, um, and so there are areas that we may simply be missing that we, that we have not seen and we're hoping to, to identify those as necessary. But then also to poke holes in the structure itself, if, if maybe the structure doesn't seem to make as much sense as we might think it does, um, if there are other ways of looking at this that we may not have yet considered. Um, but I think looking at long term, um, you know, as we're continuing to produce content for this document, uh, or this publication rather, um, what we're imagining will happen is that this same framework, that matrix framework, can start to be used in a number of other contexts. So, for instance, I, I kept thinking back during the later stages of our, of our convening to um, the old collections management software reviews that, that the Canadian Heritage Information Network used to do and, and doesn't do anymore, and how that actually gave museums all over the world a certain resource where it was like, in effect, they did the research for you. So if you didn't have the resources to do that, you, could, you, you had that there as, a, as it was available to you. But using this framework to do that kind of analysis to say not only, well, does this software that we're evaluating meet certain functional goals, but where does it land? You know, how does it think about stewardship of data? How does, how does it contribute to or not to our organizational transparency? You know, how does it prioritize or not sort of dominant ways of knowing or modes of thinking? Um, so we can imagine this, this framework, this matrix, being used flexibly in a number of different contexts um, moving forward. So, um, so with that, that concludes our prepared remarks. So I'm uh, curious if uh, we can just open up the floor to questions at this point, as I'm sure there are probably a lot, because there's a lot of like, what, or questions, or, or comments are acceptable in lieu of questions. Um, and since we have a lot of participants in the project also in the room with us, um, we may defer to, to some of those. Do we have? Briefly, before we jump into that, um, we did a raise of hands, but should we also say the names of the people who raised their hands? That would be great. Yeah. Um, yes. So if folks who raise their hands, <laughs> we're going to embarrass you. Yeah. Um, Rob Lansfield, uh, Douglas Hegley, Robin Magad. Who's the hell? Catherine Quigley. Quigley. Uh -huh. Matt Popke there in the back. Uh, 
And yeah, 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 yeah. Is that everybody? Oh, Nick oh. And, and in the back, Nick Honeyset, <laughs> leaning casually. Oh, hey, thank you. <laughs> and if anyone uh, doesn't have a microphone, if you could repeat the question yeah. for the recording. Sorry, can you repeat that on the mic just for those? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> are, there, are there any functional practice groups or practice lenses that fell out or fell away during the course of discussion, recognizing in full uh, legitimacy that hey, you're making trade-offs, right? There are hard decisions that right. I can argue with at length why digital engagement online presence feel weird to me, but I accept that you've made a decision, that's fine, <laughs> right? And so I'm curious if like, there are things that fell out, and especially when I try and think of it as, as only a technology lens, because then I look at some of like, well, there's an operational side that I begin to wonder about, and I could see where I can pigeonhorn that into a few of the other things, but I'm curious about some of those decisions and where you ended up and why. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, and actually right next to you, Douglas might have um, something interesting to say about this, but I mean, I think, in fact, we actually ended up including more things than I had originally anticipated. Um, I mean, my assumption was that this, that the charter would not have anything useful to say about, say, hardcore IT you know, about your email server, you know, and, and well, what would that mean to look at that through a decolonization lens, you know, and, and that's my own just sort of like, well, I can't see it. Um, I mean, it's fair to say some of those things just don't have a clean match, right? I mean, you're right. I, I'm almost certain that Microsoft documentation does not mention anything about decolonization when setting up, you know, a server. But, you know, it's, it's legitimate to say, like, yep, if somebody does have an accommodation for that, Right, the, the lack of, of something does not indicate a negative signal, right? It's just an acknowledgement. Correct. It doesn't do this. And it's okay that it doesn't do this. Right. And I think where we see this being most helpful, the, the publication itself, is, is being a framework for decision making. So not necessarily saying, yeah, don't do this, do this other thing, as much as, yeah. Like, you know, if you're evaluating between multiple options and maybe one hits certain functionality goals but fails on a number of these other lenses, you, you might say, whereas I think historically in museums, I think we have a tendency, especially when evaluating software, to over-prioritize functionality and under-prioritize, say, for instance, human centricity. I mean, our collections management systems are a reflection of that. Um, so, burn. But, um, um, yeah, so I don't... I don't I don't know if I'd say there's anything that fell out. I wonder if other participants, sorry, on the mic, please. And I will, I will read the mic. Um. So yeah, my sense of it was not so much that things were carved out or allowed to drop out as uh, things were getting folded together, subsumed into other categories um, with the sense that it was important to keep <coughs> the full palette of things that had surfaced somehow in play, but that they needed to be clumped in ways that ended up with a manageable list of um, clumps, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, it, one case in point could be something like collection systems, which started out floating at a somewhat higher level. Um, it didn't make sense for it to remain there as discussions progressed around that. So that got folded into business systems along with other, other things. So I think there's, in this top level view, um, there are a lot of things that don't actually surface by name. But if one were to drill one level lower to see the 
punch lists of things that live in each of those areas. Um, it's pretty comprehensive. And what you're not seeing a lot of are the hundreds of post-it notes <laughs> that were written out that are part you of the intersections. <laughs> um, so a lot of these, it was thinking through what makes sense <laughs> as the axes versus what makes sense as the more detailed essays. So you know, getting down into the more specific topic areas or things we're writing on. You'd ask specifically poke holes, and I think the only one that kind of stands out for me is, is program development, right? Is that if I think of using technology to support programs that are being done either in the organization or as an extension of the organization, I can see that maybe they begin to fall under some of those things that I, you know, mm -hmm. again, it's like, you can make the argument for it, but that does feel like maybe there's a, a critical mass there in trying to support some of that stuff that, that maybe doesn't quite feel like it's there to me, but. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting one, and uh, Catherine, I don't know if you want to chime in since we did sort of have a I variation on this discussion <laughs> before before the session. Um, but I think where, you know, the, the decision that we did make there was thinking, because program development did definitely come up, and it was, it was an area that we frankly had a difficult time addressing. Um, and, but I think we looked at it more in terms of, well, if we separate it out into sort of the production piece and then the sort of output piece, you know, that that's, the, you know, and as you say, like that's sort of a structural decision that we made that made sense to us at the time and, and may warrant further, further discussion. Catherine, I don't know if you wanted to say more on that. I don't know what I'm really adding, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I love to talk, so I'll just talk. No, I think that we talked about the education piece, like uh, for people that are working on digital education type of um, initiatives, that that would be landing under content development. Yeah. And that was a really long discussion because it kind of felt like it was its own special thing and it was kind of hard to have it be in there with everything else. But it did make sense at the end, I think, to just have less categories. And, mm -hmm. and for me, I kind of thought of it as like, if you're an education person and you, do, you have like that crossover skill set of like you're an education person and you have some digital media skills or digital content development skills, then you're kind of like in that functional practice group. And it can be so different at every museum, so it's really hard because it doesn't really reflect yeah. the org structure at a lot of museums, and these kind of roles are all over, but it's kind of like that person that has some tech skills and has an education background that can kind of translate the expert content knowledge <coughs> into something that kids will understand or that the, you know, that kind of role. So that's sort of the way I was thinking about it. So uh, I'm a consultant in the field, uh, and so frameworks like this are really important for me to be able to talk to my clients when we're talking about to do just this, try to, to evaluate. So I've kind of been looking for something at least that can provide me with the structure that I'm, I'm looking for, and so I may have missed this, but this is just kind of like the tech side of things, right? Yes. Oh, and that's, that's the one, oh, yeah. so, okay, that's okay. Um, <laughs> and so I guess my questions are around, is this just tech? Uh, and then, you know, th some of the other ones that I've been looking at, did you guys look at these two? So the one, the one on digital benchmark or digital maturity benchmarking by Collections Trust, and then the one that the Canada Council for the Arts has put together as part of their digital strategy fund. And then for me, because digital is so cross-cutting, I'm trying to figure out how it works and, and where it permeates into organizations, and I don't know if you can you can remove some of those other elements around people, <coughs> especially organizational culture, uh, and just being a digitally positive 
organization, uh, and then those other sort of really specific uh, elements around activities uh, and skills and things like that. So I, I'm still trying to process all of this, but th those are a bunch of questions. <laughs> did you look at those things, and, and how, do you d how did you feel about removing those I other aspects of organization that. and people from the matrix? I mean, I, I can. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a hard, uh, I mean, that's in, in, in effect the hardest question to answer with a project like this is sort of like, well, where are its edges? At what point does sort of museum technology practice stop and whatever non-technology museum practices begin? Um, and, you know, so you can see like that, I mean, we made certain decisions here and, and then there's some sort of subtle assumptions that are embedded in there, you know, that in effect, you know, we're able to sort of separate these things out more easily if you think of digital in more of a sort of service model context, you know, where it's like curator requests this thing from a digital person and digital person does it, you know. And so that, that sort of, there's, there's sort of an implicit assumption that at some point, even if it's the same person doing both of those jobs, that they sort of transition from being yeah, <laughs> you know, in, and so I think that's a, a complicated um, part of it there. Um, but I also do, because um, we have some people that were involved with the, the digital mat maturity model and the one-by-one -one project um, in the UK. And I think, I, ho I hope I'm not sort of um, uh, too broadly summarizing it, but I think, you know, when, we, when Ross Perry and I have talked about our two projects in the past, like one of the ways that they diverge somewhat is that the maturity model is focused a little bit more on individuals at the institution, you know, improving capability at the individual level. Whereas I think the focus of the charter is really more at the institutional level, saying as an institution, these are things that you need to think about. Um, Douglas had his... Yeah, I think it's a yes and in many ways. Because when we were, even in April, and I've continued to roll it over in my head, like the the third and fourth dimensions have to do with capabilities, which maturity model, capability model, however you want to attack it, <coughs> and fluency. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you... I'm sorry, and what? Digital fluency. Mm -hmm. Because one of, the, one of the issues with any of these kind of matrices is you throw them at someone who doesn't know what the hell this stuff is, and it all just looks like impossibly expensive and impossibly complicated. And what I think we're trying to do here is to simplify and build out a sort of current snapshot of where practice and technology come together <coughs> in some effective way, mm -hmm. uh, knowing full well that, that any organization that lacks digital fluency and isn't ready to adopt these kinds of technologies would still fail if they simply tried to install the software. And I, you, know, you have to put boundaries around something somewhere. And then finally, of course, the last piece that, and I think I'm sort of riffing off what you were saying, to me, a functional practice group is people. Mm -hmm. um, it's talent. And, and we decided not to do that because we were focused more on the tech and the technology. Um, but I haven't seen any technology yet that works without some people involved. So to, to me, without thinking that a functional practice group is staff, uh, m makes it hard to envision any of this being successful. Again, I understand we have to put some boundaries around things. And I'm not quite sure yeah. what those essays look like if staff becomes a functional practice group. That's an entirely different array of, of things. And now I have Jennifer Ron, fired up. Did you want to try okay. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in general, 
when I look at this matrix, and I think even then, I, j I think about talent management. Mm -hmm. I think about how important talent management is, has to be viewed through a decolonization, accessibility, inclusion, equity, and human centricity lens. Um, so I guess I just underscore, I've, I've always just thinking about the people when we were working on this charter, and I think, I think we can dimensionalize the charter with, I think we need to dimensionalize it to include talent management. It's professional development. Mm -hmm. To be the infamous Z axis. Yes, the, there, there was an entire discussion there about a Z axis that was actually exactly this. And I just, um, I mean, I think that the, the, the staff um, element is, um, it's like implied in the practice groups, but is not explicitly called out. And I think it does have to do with like at a certain point we we have to draw boundaries of some sort. But I think that you know it was a really robust conversation then. I think the fact that it's coming back up now, um, it, you know, point in that it's it's coming from a lot of different um, voices is that it points to, okay, we may not be able to in this actually tackle this, but that there needs to be in some part of the charter an acknowledgement of this thing that like. You need to deal with it, like this will only work as well as how it intersects in your institution with how you are structuring your staff, treating your staff, supporting your staff, like this is not just I read this and now we can do whatever. Like you do actually need to, to remember that you, it's people that are going to make this happen. So I, I think it's good that this came, that the dreaded Z access has returned. to interject, um, but yeah, I think this might be where you're getting into that big institution, small institution yeah. thing, and, and the idea that it's implicit makes sense for those institutions, mm -hmm. but probably not for the smaller ones, mm -hmm. and so I think calling it out mm -hmm. is really important for them so that they it's clear and they understand that that is an essential foundational element yeah. to do any of that. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Devon has been waiting patiently for, right there. Seven. for a month. Yeah, just to jump off of what people are saying, I, I, I see its usefulness in the kind of matrix style for the individuals who would be going through the process of actually doing it, who know the, the language of technology, right? Like, oh, I am, you know, I'm doing digital engagement so I can like find my line on the axis and work with that. But from the institutional standpoint, looking at the like, uh, the the matrix as a whole, I could. I could definitely see people being like, this is just so much, we can't you know, do all of this. Is there a, is there like an A to A, B, X like series of cells that you would wanna focus on as like what are more, you know, prioritized? Yeah. Like a way to read the matrix if you're not, you know, in the matrix, if that makes right. sense. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should just leave it at that. Um, so, sort of off that, sort of aside, side thing off that is it does raise also the, the valuable point that this isn't necessarily the resulting publication isn't necessarily something conceived of as having its only use case being somebody who tries to engage with the whole darn thing at once to line everything on it up with their institutional practice. Um, people well might do that and that would be cool uh, but that there could also be great utility in it uh, where there would be somebody who knows, let's say, that they're about to do an RFP and consider 
possible paths for some particular kind of system or some particular kind of uh, programming development. Um, and that targeted kind of use of it as a resource to drill across one row, see how it hits right. those columns, find that targeted number of cells that relate to the specific thing that's in play in that institution at that time, um, almost more in a, you know, look, look up the points that you connect to at that moment, um, use it as a resource that way, and not engage with the other 90% of it at that time. So yeah, and, and to some degree, that, that could dial down the uh, dissuasive force of it seeming like so much all at once. Yeah, I think it's important to think like that this is a model and not a table of contents. You know, that the actual production of the, the resource itself, the, the model and this matrix may not be quite as sort of foregrounded as it is in our discussion right now. You know, and that it may be more like, okay, here's resources related to collections management, and there's a narrative sequence to those, you know, making it easier to follow, you know, or, or social media best practices, and there's a narrative sequence there. And so, in a way, the model is there to ensure that we're being as sort of comprehensive as possible, but not necessarily, like, that won't necessarily be the way that you navigate um, the, the publication and the, and the sort of end game. Chad. I think the um, I think the matrix is great on a conversational level too within organizations to be able to to kind of discuss where we are where we want to be that sort of thing. Um, I'm really curious though whether as part of your discussions there was any mention of an organization especially moving backwards on the matrix, and this is related to that staffing question. Um, you might reach a certain level, lose a few people yeah. or a team, mm. and fall back to another level. Did that ever come up? I don't, yeah, very, I would want to say that it did come up in terms of how we talked about um, transparency, organizational transparency and documenting processes, as well as with regards to um, sustainability of systems and recognizing that in order to keep um, certain things lean and um, agile, we, will, we would also have to um, ensure some things are sunsetted. So that, that did come up. Okay, a bunch of follow-up questions. Wow. Um, I mean, I think the, the other thing that it just, it, like your question makes me just think about like one of the things that we just kept coming back to is that um, the, the idea for this is that it is helpful uh, as a decision-making tool and that part of the decision-making tool may be like, oh, we've, we've actually overstretched ourselves because we are, in fact, not doing these things. And maybe like that it could help an organization to figure out that they might need to actually take a step back to fall back strategically, to fall back strategically um, because it may help to clarify like you, you're not actually <coughs> doing all the things that you need to do for this area. Katie, and then we have two more. Um, I'm just, I'm thinking about this and particularly the lenses, which are, um, you know, values in an another way of maybe stating it. And that, um, and thinking about how this exists within, like where the boundaries are of this. This is embedded digital as it permeates all practices of the museum, but it's sort of like embedded within a museum yeah. itself that has its own values. Mm -hmm. 
which, and a big part of the, what you're trying to do is push forward, like we as a field feel that these are the values that we should be, these are the lenses. And I, I guess this is sort of a question slash comment, just as you guys are thinking about rolling this out and you know, ha is there a kind of plan to bring this forward like into like, you know, AAMD, into like, to because it's only going to work if the people, like people are only going to buy this as a way of, as a way to guide decision making yeah. if they, if that's what they believe should be the things that are on that part of the matrix. Yeah. So, um, um, just curious if you guys have thought about it's kind of longer term in terms of like socializing yeah. this. But no, it um, in in fact actually there was a a project that was in play which unfortunately the funding fell through so it didn't didn't happen. But I still think there's viability in that model. Um, where we were going to partner with the Texas Association of Museums to basically sort of roadshow the this with you know uh, and focusing on certain areas of the state you know I mean Texas being gigantic um, but where a majority of the museums are very small museums and and so you know really like road testing a lot of the assumptions that we made here to see if um, if in fact what we thought would be useful is actually useful to those who are, who are probably most acutely in need of this kind of information. So while that didn't go ahead, I think that's a viable model. Um, we are talking with a, a few other, the regional museums associations about, you know, what it would look like to roll this out amongst smaller, especially smaller institutions. And so I think we will be doing that, um, probably not in the near term, but in the hopefully not too near term. We had. So everyone who's got a question, raise their hand. Let's go one, two, three, four. Is that everybody? So kind of revisiting the reading the matrix without being in the matrix, was there um, any discussion around including digital strategy or digital project management either as a practice lens or functional practice group? Not as a lens. Um, I don't, I would say it did not come up as a lens. Um, I was in the lens discussion group, so I can't, <laughs> I don't know, Did, Lori, you were in the, uh, Douglas, you were also in the practice areas, right? I mean, I think, I think the thing is that the, go back through the windmills of yeah. my mind. Yeah. I, I mean, for oh, the, yeah. for the lenses, it, that, it feels more like it's a functional, it's about like mm -hmm. the work. So it, it didn't <coughs> come up in lenses because that's really more like. You know, it is more of a values sort of lens. You know what I mean? So it definitely didn't come up there. I I suspect that it probably came up as maybe a subset of the work rather than as a standalone. Well, I I guess I would just push back a little bit about mm -hmm. digital strategy being not being part of a value. Um, it may be the thought that it could um, be included in the practice lenses when you think about why are we doing this in the first place? Why did this organization <coughs> decide? to go digital, why is it deciding to expand? Um, and those big picture questions that mm -hmm. are sometimes, it's really easy to get lost in, in the forest. Um, and, and we do kind of need that guiding structure of, of something um, of, you know, why are we doing all of this work in the first place? Um, and what's our roadmap? Yeah, I mean, it's foundational, right? So right. I, I wonder if it's more part of the introduction it's like under or all of it or right like this is 
what you need to do first or something. Uh, definitely we need to talk about it because it is important and it is a gap. So I'm glad you brought it up for sure. I have a very um, boring practical question. Um, Bring it. Yeah, in the description it, it mentioned near-term roadmap and, and also for a, a complicated project like this, I always um, immediately start thinking, well, what's the production schedule? Because <laughs> when you multiply these, they're nearly 50 uh -huh. intersections. Yep. So how, yep. oh, 60, <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> good. Somebody's better at math off the top of their head than I am, but. <laughs> Um, I'm very curious what the production schedule is and also related to your question, uh, how you're prioritizing things. Not that I want to debate it, but I imagine that's part of setting up a production schedule, like this batch is going to go first and then we're going to go to this. And so when could we start seeing even drafts of things? So um, I, I'm actually going to ask if we can put a pin in that because the last thing that we wanted to talk about is related to that. Um, so if we could do the other two questions and then we'll come back. Is that okay? Okay. 48. It's a lot. It's just a lot, Bruce. I said it was 63. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be no further discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's practice our lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, I think. No, it's over here. Yeah, over here and then the last one's over there. Oh, we are disappearing down the matrix there. I'm I'm Ross I'm Ross Parry I'm Museum Studies Leicester and uh, thanks Kevin for, for shouting out one by one so I'm the project lead on that um, this this isn't going to be a question but it's it's just going to be a call for us to have a bigger conversation because I have in front of me I can't share it with the room but I'm happy to come up the front and allow you to see it it's it's the digital so charter that we have just written for the UK sector, so our Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport, we've been part of the, the team that's written, spent the last year trying to do this, but in a UK context. It was going to be published later this month, but we've had a general election called, so we're not allowed to release anything from government policy until the new year. Um, we, just very, in 30 seconds, I would say the way we approached it was to separate out a charter that was a very, you know, one side statement of principles for everyone, individuals and organizations. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, no technology language in there. The language is around being ethical, purposeful, resilient, inclusive, uh, really wonderful kind of vocabulary in there. Then we separated that out from the tool that you saw this morning from Tonya mm -hmm. Nelson, which is the, um, what's going to be called the digital tracker, uh, which is the digital maturity index tool, which actually mm -hmm. is for institutions. Yeah. It's a classic business maturity index tool that builds a heat map and shows you where mm -hmm. digital is in your in institution. Utterly flexible, any size of organization you know, can switch off bits, turn bits on, so that it, it, it works for all organizations. And then for the individuals, uh, a platform called Pathways run by Culture24 is going to be just rammed full of the, the definitions, the case studies, the tools, the, the, the templates, the how-to guides that will help that individual on the ground in their institution to, you know, to, to see through digital change. So we've separated it out that way, which works in a UK context, in our particular context. And we would we, we'd be so happy just to lay that all out and, and say this is, this is where we got to and, and, and why. Can you say the name of that project again? Just for the room? So the two big projects are one by one. That's the, uh, the building digital uh, confident museums in the UK. That's the project that I lead, and you can find out more about that on Friday morning, where we'll be talking about that, but also talking about two by two, 
which is the collaborative project with the US that we want to run next year. So if you want to be part of that with us, please come on Friday morning. And then the bigger piece of work is the Digital Culture Compass. And that's the piece that um, the Culture Ministry has, has commissioned that we've, that we've been part of as well. Great. Sorry, that was a little bit longer. One more over here, and then we got to get back here. So it's very short and related to the production schedule, so that's good. But I was just curious if you could talk a bit more about how you will um, recruit authors or if it will be one author per section or a group of Thank authors. Thank you very much. I'll pay you the $20 for setting that up later. <laughs> <laughs> and then also just if it will be a, if you're envisioning like a white paper type of product or if there will be a platform where people can comment and revise things or like how the community input will work once it's launched. I was going to response to that as your call out to um, just quickly, yeah, the platform will be, it'll be online, it'll be digital, so yeah, the, the, the process will be quite transparent and open and open to comments and suggestions. Um, so yeah, it, we don't imagine it being a, a print publication, though, you know, someone could have an interest in funding that potentially and might want to do it, but I, I, I think given the complexity of this, it would be hard to know how to navigate that, um, so it will be an online platform. And so to circle back the, the idea about the production schedule and prioritizing, um, so part of that is gonna be predicated on getting people involved in writing, which is, uh, that was sort of the last thing, and, and involved in other aspects of uh, creating and <coughs> producing this project. So one of the things that we did wanna do here today was to sort of put out a call to anyone that is interested in being a part of the project, if you are looking at this matrix and saying like, this is an area that I know about, that I want to write about, or that I have case studies, or I have a bibliography, or I am somebody who would love to kind of recruit others to write about this, we would love to connect with you. Please come up, talk to us. Um, we, ha you can, we would love to get your name, your email, contact information. We would love to expand the, the group to include lots of people across the sector to be able to contribute to this um, and really build this out. So I think part of it is right now, we don't have a production schedule because we are recruiting um, additional uh, participants to help create the content that is gonna be um, the final website. Thank you everyone so much for being here and for asking such great questions and um, we'll be hanging around if you'd like to talk to us a bit more about the project or volunteer, ideally volunteer to help and, and do more. Thank you everybody. <laughs>